eliminating it and going on to something else. The, and the, it, whether or not we as a human species survive largely depends upon our understanding of how things do happen on this earth. And if societies don't make use of it, the chances are we won't survive. That's a long time in the future. <laughs> Probably will be our children and our grandchildren and so on and forth. But we're in a position where we're running out of fossil fuels. The limit is definitely within the 30 to 100 years. If we want peace in this world, we have to, it seems to me, to have any viable peace during the underprivileged people, let them come up somewhere by their own motivation to our level. That means they have to, they will probably be increasing the use of energy per capita at the same rate we have in the past. And you can make a very simple calculation if we only use the fossil fuel and they come up to our standards with a, at, at increasing at the exponential rate that we have and the population doesn't increase and we don't increase our use of energy any further. Who, the United States is using one-third of the fossil fuels where less than 6% of the population on the earth. And if, and if this comes on up, you can calculate that there won't be any fossil fuels left in 100 years. Well, it's this science. kind of problem you're running into. Well, obviously the scientists know it's a problem. Yes, and, and this has been known even before World War II. And the ecologists, the Johnny come lately, I have no use for. But the ecologists point, the true ecologists pointed this out in back in the 1930s to the 1940s. But the, but the, ecologists, the ecologists and the scientists don't make the policy decisions. No. No, but so, it isn't uh, our no matter job. How many, no matter it isn't how our loud. job. Well, it's our job to tell what, how things will happen, and it's up to society to wake up and do something. And not only tell them how it's happening, but give them a gut feeling for it. Yeah. The fact is that the people I know mostly, scientific civilians, if you like, amateurs, they simply do not comprehend the meaning of a finite world with finite resources. They just can't can't understand the gut meaning of that statement. Well, that, you know, somehow or other God will provide more gasoline or more oil depletion allowances in Texas will create oil. Does that include the congressman or the people you Well, the congressman from Texas sound like it. <laughs> well, let's put it a little stronger. If we're going to enjoy the advantage of one technology, made possible by scientific research in the area of biology, medicine, that keeps every living born person practically today where it's good, alive, without putting some control on how, on the numbers of people on this planet, where nature will take care of us, we, we will cease to exist as a species as we ruin the environment, so on and so forth, and something Hey, well, as I used to tell some of my state of my understanding science class, if they were at all religious, hey, 
Who knows but what the good Lord's got a different, they're tired of the human species and got something better in mind. We also, you all seem pessimistic about the power of science to persuade, persuade people who have Well, it, it, it hasn't been done. Now, I, again, again, look, look. Let me say, though, the, the great, huge mass of people, they have no perception of science. On the other hand, they don't have any perception of economic here. Once I, well, I mean, as an example, once I uh, was the vice president of a very large university, Columbia University, with an enormous budget and a ballpark of $100 million, and freshmen, just years of the student revolutions, freshmen were members of the Senate that was supposed to be the final authority. These members were persons who were excused by the dean from taking a course in physical science because they never could understand quantitative things. Then they go to the Senate and they want to manipulate the budget of the university, which is a complicated thing. I don't understand it. You know, we have attorneys and accountants, these people do it, you know, the general guidelines. They think that economics, federal, industrial economics, this is about on the scale of how do you decide what you're going to do with the money that the allowance your father gives you every month, as though it were the same kind of thing, but on a different scale. They don't understand economics, they don't understand politics. This gets into a slightly different area, and the fact that they even the advanced, the, the physicists on the borderline have a habit of creating a language about something they really don't know anything about. And it's when they get to a place they can tell other physicists so intelligently, so we understand, then they're beginning to understand it themselves. And personally, I think that the science of economics is full of a lot of terms that, that, that that's a very simple language we take care of. If nobody knows the answers, who's going to teach who? Who's going to decide what should be taught to get out of this morass? In a, in, a, in a given area, there are scientists which you can gather together as a group. If there's something you think needs to be done, it's my opinion at the present time, in a crisis situation, we do. So we have one suggestion to Congress from the executive, and Congress monkeys with it a little bit and changes it, and we do that, often with not no idea of other consequences. The consequences of what we do may be worse than the crisis we're trying to solve. And if if our a political could some way have a get the advice in these areas of people who, and not just one person, but a group of people, and, and then that, then various suggestions, various alternatives to solve this crisis could be given to the Congress or the public with probable predictions of what other consequences of this act, this technology, might have. But you speak and in that case, society could make its choice. You speak as if science were monolithic, whereas if there were the no, five, ex no, no, well, if the five experts brought up by the FEA were the same as the five brought up by someone else, the five brought up by third party, 
Is it fair to consider? No, they should not be those that are asked for an opinion, and they should not come out of a biased uh, institution that's biased one way or another. A, it should be from a group of scientists who have not taken a stand on one side or another. Utopian. No. No, I don't no. disagree. I mean, I mean, I, I, I take a stand against uh, an ever-increasing number of automobiles. I, oh, I, yeah, sure. I'm committed to it. I mean, there's a stand, too. I take a strong stand for equity among people, oh, yeah, including sure. blacks, especially. Oh, well, you see I what I mean? I, I mean, I do have, I'm, I'm lousy with stands. Well, and I want somebody to challenge my stands, but I don't, believe me, I don't. Uh, but a true scientist can, a, a, can look at a thing without introducing his own bias. Can he not? Well, he can question he, he, there, there's of a limit, how things happen. There, there was a limited, there was a limited area in which the scientists, even the worst goddamn swine among scientists, and the most saintly, would say the same thing, right? There's certain categories of things. Nobody would argue about how much efficiency, the maximum efficiency you can get out of a steam engine. And if anybody proposes to exceed that, you will see if he can't be locked up. He's not dangerous. You see what I mean? It's not. <laughs> there, there are things that we can agree about. Unfortunately, it's awfully hard to draw the line between what you can agree on as neutrals and matters in which you have a, 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 a strong uh, feeling one way or the other. I mean, very difficult. Let me answer your question, make a comment about your question that got lost, right? It seems to me if every practicing scientist in the United States, whether to the far political right or the far political left, would spend one hour a week at his university talking to people like you. We're having a seminar here. You're asking me questions and I'm responding and you tell me I'm wrong and I respond some more, right? We learn and they learn, right? Yeah, I mean, if, it, it if turns if out they that, will bother to listen. Well, I mean, you, you cultivate the style so that they will listen. I was going to say so the little bastards right. will listen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, uh, it, it turns out that in the universities and in the colleges and I think in a sort of a nationwide basis, teaching itself in its best sense is in bad odor and bad repute. If you are a most distinguished teacher at the University of California at Berkeley but haven't written any papers, even dreary papers, in the last three years, your colleagues are going to look, begin to look down their noses at you. But this, this is not. Which I'm saying? Right, insisting on papers. That, that, that's correct. But, but nevertheless, the values of the academy, which is the actual homing ground of scientists, that, that, that total aura is not really conducive to producing an educated citizenry. But what is conducive? Well, the greater participation of men, men of range, and mind, and enthusiasm, and passion, simply to talk to people. Well, it's up to the men to get out on their own, then. The first requirement... Well, there, also be, uh, there could also be a certain institutional aura which, uh, you know, would respond to this. The first requirement for a good teacher is a man who loves his profession. 
Did any of you gentlemen sign the uh, uh, science? Oh look, uh, don't partly because of our interest in ecology. And partly because of the, uh, the efforts of certain groups. And uh, these groups make a mistake in what they're doing. Because they're asking for a no-risk situation. They're asking for no future use of technology that has any risk whatsoever. And I, I've never been in a group when they get hot, but I'd like to be in a group sometime and ask them if they, they point out to them that they're not consistent in this. If they were, they would quit riding in automobiles immediately because automobiles are the greatest risk that any human being in our civilization takes. And the point of the matter is, if you want to accomplish something, if you want to better our circumstances and get on a better base, you have, and, and you have to use the knowledge that we have a, across the board, not just scientific knowledge, but you have to evaluate the risk against the benefits. And no individual, no human, no living species on this earth, plant or animal, lives without risk. Life is a part of risk. You take a calculated risk every time you cross the street. But isn't it just like maybe to reduce risk? And if you if you you're, you're not if you don't want to take a risk, why well, you might just well quit living. Yeah, what about nuclear energy, for example? Um, and the risk of nuclear energy that's been played up so high is infinitesimal compared to the risk we take right today. You agree? Well, How is it compared board. to the risks well, we take with Let's see, let's see, the very funny thing, excuse me, may I, uh, the best $110 a year I spend is by getting the New York Times in Dallas, the first class newspaper. Anyway, a couple of days ago, I read an old copy, they turn out, not to come out of time, you know, like even the problems of the post office. I, I read 
an article about the consequences of a fire in a nuclear plant at Decatur, Alabama, six months ago. And what horrified me was not so much that there had been a fire, but that I hadn't heard about it before. It ought to be headline news. It turned out, it turned out that the reactor remained essentially intact. There was no uh, cloud of radioactive material that emanated from the south, but the reactor itself, together with auxiliary control equipment, was out, going to be out for something like six to nine months. What happened was that when they put the cabling in that operated, among other things, the safe, safe fail things, one of the cables turned out to have an inflammable covering. And the workman lit the match, you know, the performance of his duties, and the whole damn thing, including the safety gadgets, became non-operative. And a bunch of bright cookies in the control room managed to, I forgive the word, to ad hoc it to a stop. You know what I mean? And, you know, it seems to me, it seems to me this is the most important piece of news we've had in America oh, this year. That, that wouldn't draw a headline. And what scientists say and whether anybody believes it, did any of you gentlemen sign Bart Bach's statement on astrology recently? No, I, I, I didn't. I, I, thought, well, I thought it was childish. The statement or the reaction? Oh, I don't know, the statement. You know, no, I think, <clears throat> literally, I think extremely few educated persons, you know, thoughtful persons, have any faith in astrology. It's directed to uh, a small minority, and uh, <clears throat> I don't know what purpose it's <clears throat> But there was a very violent reaction, I understand. Does this mean that the public is still somewhat disenchanted with the wisdom of scientists? Well, if a man wants to go to hell in his own way, then in a democratic society there's not much you can do about it unless he interferes with other citizens. And right you now said in our society he seems to get by with it when he interferes with other citizens. But before you said society has to make the decisions to keep man alive. Well, if the society wants to, in the first place, if a society exists, and, and, and for a society to exist, there has to be a certain amount of conformity. And in my estimation, and this is out of my uh, province of an expert, but in my estimation, looking at it, and what I've seen happen recently, uh, it's, uh, that, the, that conforming is, in a good society is mainly obtained by social pressure. And in my estimation, when a society gets to the place where the only conforming is enforced by the police, the society is sick and put near through. And uh, our overpopulation and our a, a ability to move from one community to another so that we're not known in the community or anything else, and our, a, and our idea of keeping the families of a of a juveniles out of the print just it has just had an effect of removing all social pressure. When I was a boy, I lived in a community 
where the community was stable, everybody knew everybody else, we knew who the bad actors were, the social pressure was there. We hardly needed the police. We didn't even have a police force. Let's say you asked the question, may I say a few words about it, right? There is no doubt about the fact that the public is disenchanted with science. At one time, there was a massive you know, human sweep from systems of religious belief to a more scientific attitude. This was a hope and a belief in the infinite future that science offered. Now people are disenchanted and they withdraw into mysticism, the enormous growth, not only of astrology, but all kinds of mystic systems in the United States. Can I ask a question? And, I, and, and uh, I mean, as you point out, there is a disenchantment. Is it turning around now? No, I think it's worsening. Can I suggest a reason for that, maybe get your reaction to that? Because you, you, can, you will sit up there as a Nobel winner and say that well, it's a question. You are writers. You are publicists. This man wrote a paper for this conference that is the best description of what scientists are about, what a true scientist, what his ethic is, in a sense, what he's up to, that I've seen in a long time. And I ask you, what can you do? What can be done to get such a statement across to the public? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a flamboyant statement. It's not something you can make great big headlines out of. But it is a very good statement. And I've, I've read all four of the statements, and this, and this one's the shortest, and as usual, a man who knows what he has. He really has something to say to make it short. Let me, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I do feel, uh, you know, Let me just look, 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 look. There was the classic controversy between Pauling and Teller about the testing of nuclear weapons, all right? I have every reason to suppose that Pauling and uh, have come to some agreements about the evidence. These, this is the evidence and even about the interpretations and implications of that evidence the real difference between them was a difference of political attitude, social attitude, aspiration, and history. Where were they born? What have they seen in the world? You know what I mean? Teller was very bitter about Russia as an example, right? Pauling less so for good reason. One had experience and the other had. Unfortunately, the whole controversy was presented to the public as two scientists taking antipodal points of view. It was, uh, it was a demonstration of the antipodal points of view that are social points of view that are possible in the face of the same evidence, which is differencing. But there is a great confusion. You know, I said, if I say to you, it's going to be rain here tomorrow, look that scientific truth. Whereas I'm predicting the rain just the, the way you would predict it. You know. 
Not that you're a scientific illiterate, but you are. Which is false. There are as many competent scientists that haven't won Nobel Prizes, some of which know about some of these things better than we do. And just because we're a Nobel Prize winner, we, we shouldn't necessarily be held up as outside of the, of the, of the community. Well, I understand you're right. You are challenging us as writers to make a statement like this a bestseller. Well, to make a statement like this, yes. Let's see, let's see. Look, a certain... A I'd certain like to see it printed in every Sunday, Sunday supplement of every newspaper in this country. Look, look, look. A maybe some people would read Well, it's some kind of a sensitivity. If you had a kind of a sensitivity, what I will affirm as a scientist, right? I don't think anyone in this room would be well advised to discuss molecular structure with me or challenge me on it, right? I mean, that's within my technical competence. But, but you know, in, a sense, in a sense, I'd like to use my particular specialty to illustrate a point here. I, in my laboratory, first observed a certain phenomenon that nobody knew anything about until it was observed in my laboratory. And I was led, we were led, the whole group was led into this position by trying to understand what was going on in a particular type of matter. And our, our in orders were to understand, not to invent or anything else. We knew the importance of the device, if one could be made of that kind of, the importance of the device was thought of back in 1925. And everybody that tried to make an invention on it failed. But those people, it happened that it hit us. The study of the understanding and learning what was going on in those materials led us to a position where we observed this effect that made the, a solid state electronics possible. But that, as a research scientist, that, that's what happened. That's what came out of it and my colleagues were equally a, a contributed to this. I'm not taking all of it to myself. But now, that, bring, that, that knowledge makes possible a technology, a technology that has paid wages to innumerable people now. It's a big industry, and society uses it and makes various uses of it. And I am, it is not my purpose to to say which use and to dictate the use of this. I have no right in the society to do this. There are some uses, such as in rock and roll, to the, to, to the place where even the musicians are deaf, that, and, and they're making other people deaf. And I saw one man on the Today Show once when they discussed this use, asked the question, what are you going to do when you lose your hearing? And he said, oh, society will take care of it. <laughs> but you now, want to hear more from me, gentlemen. Since both of you gentlemen are physicists, I'd like to ask this question. Is it true you think that the disenchantment we were talking about before has been greater in the physical sciences, and is this an unfortunate result of nuclear power and uh, is there going to be a turnaround of this once more away from the biological sciences, or is a balance to be achieved now? 
You said you got too much money before in physics. Are the others getting too much money now? I don't think they are. Uh, no, I, I think they, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things being done. Sometimes, well, as he says in his article, if we don't have quite as much, uh, if, if we're not working so hard uh, to keep our contracts, maybe we'll have a little more time to think. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing it. He said it better than I did, but I think this is true. I think there's, I think there's too much published. I'm working in a new field in which, in my estimation, a oh somewhere around 99% of what's published in that field is could just as well be. Just as well save the money. It's not worth publishing. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's most fascinating. What uh, is your own view, Dr. Libby, about the use of your method in the matter of the Dead Sea Scrolls? What does it establish? I think okay. Uh, we use the Dead Sea Scrolls as, as calibrators. We said to ourselves, look, they're either fakes or they're right. They do say in words what it was. So when they check, we use them as known. But now the tolerance of the method, uh, as I understand it, puts it at just such a point that it could swing on both sides of the time of the birth yeah, of Christ. People what press too hard for this. Uh, the method isn't all that accurate. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but we're lucky to be within a century. But do you feel yourself that it does establish it's, it's it as agreement. a, yeah, a pre-testamental uh, period document? It looks like. Could both of you sum up briefly uh, your uh, expectations from this conference? Well, uh, I don't know whether we, <laughs> we, we both accept, expect the same That's thing. all right. Well, needless to say, I'm very interested to hear what my colleagues will say about the future of science. I myself hope to contribute a little bit if I can, but I want to say that uh, I don't think I would consider the future of science because I'm not a prophet. It's notoriously dangerous to do such a thing, but I have certain hopes and also fears about the future of science, which Let's I might voice at the appropriate moment. You're not going to voice them now. Well, uh, <laughs> I could do it very briefly, but... Please, uh, could you just sum them up for us? Yes, well, uh, maybe I start with my fears. My fears are that in view of a certain anti-rational, anti-scientific, you might call it anti-intellectual environment, especially among the young people, that this may present a danger for science in the sense that some of the perhaps very gifted young people may be persuaded or felt, feel themselves that science is not a human activity worth their while, which needless to say I do not, fe do not feel, but this is one of my fears I have. Why do they have this? Uh... Well, that's rather complex. This will probably be discussed in some detail in the talks, especially uh, the theologian from Chicago, I think, has expressed very well in some ways. It goes rather deep into the whole uh, 
sense of values of mankind. So I don't think I want to say too much about that. But my hopes, of course, are that these fears are not justified, and I have some reasons for these hopes. That is to say, I believe that uh, science has been largely, or at least widely, misunderstood, and especially that one aspect of science, namely its cultural aspect, the fact that it enriches the human mind, that it is one of the great and beautiful forms of human creativity, has not been sufficiently appreciated, but I trust will penetrate the public, and in that sense, I'm optimistic. You're shaking your head. I agree with it. You it just seems to me there's no way of killing science. Do you, share, do you share the same fears? Yeah. Uh, but um, it's always been so that good people don't become scientists. It's always been so. But we have some of the best who do. Well, 400 years ago, all the scientists were architects and uh, artists and things like that. Uh, yeah, we've become much too narrow in our... Uh, I don't know if you join me in this, Felix, but I think the PhD is much too narrow, and not only in science, but in the humanities. And uh, they need to broaden it. Yes, well, I agree with you, and I think that is perhaps part of the reasons why it is that uh, science at this present moment goes through <laughs> a rather low of uh, popularity. and. Uh, is this true of all science? Now, both of you are in physical science, and there seems to have been a greater well, disenchantment in physics and chemistry. Well, no. Uh, apparently, there's some attraction now towards the social sciences, but I'm rather doubtful that they will produce what the young people hope them to produce, namely a better society. We have uh, evidence in, uh, in UCLA, at least, that this uh, narrowness the PhD extends even into humanities. My professor of history friends say that they'll know Latin American history and not European, and vice versa. It's not only uh, chemistry. How can that be avoided? There isn't enough time in life. Broaden the degree. How about the demise of amateur scientists? Uh, before the Civil War there were all kinds of amateur scientists who were well, you still have a lot of. Oh yes, I think so too. Yeah, I mean, I think this great. Yes, just great. Well, how do you resensitize people to science? Then? You know, um, <coughs> people uh, have, have common sense. That's all you need to support science. Well, I don't quite agree with you on that. I think that's not enough. I think scientists themselves could contribute to that by dispelling some of the false notions that exist in science. And that perhaps in that sense, we have been a bit too complacent. We always felt that what we are doing is self-evident. Everybody must understand it. Perhaps that's not so easy. Yeah, I would agree with that. But fundamentally, um, people do believe in knowledge and the value. I just finished reading the Born-Einstein letters, which were past morning. I had a chance to talk to Born before his death about this, and I was struck by a statement that is repeated by Einstein over and over, that in his view, worthwhile science is always carried out by people who do science as a hobby. 
and he had little faith in the people who make it a professional. Well, he had a great track record. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know whether I would think that as as uh, own contribution were purely a result of a hobby. If so, it was certainly a great hobby. Yeah, I don't know what he meant by that because Bourne always argued with him about this. Well, I think what he meant is that it ought to be a work of love. That could and, be. And I think in that respect, I agree. <laughs> he certainly was. Yes. I've heard him quoted that when asked what he would do, if he did it over again, he'd become a plumber, because if he were a plumber, he'd have more time <laughs> to do important time. He was a very strange and gifted man. And he never believed in quantum mechanics, according to his letters. Oh, he contributed so much himself to it <laughs> that he did not have to be. <laughs> you said there before that you had a few fears. Um, I think one of them, you said, was the anti-intellectual spirit of the young. Are there any others? Uh, <coughs> well, this is the, the primary one that I have. That's the one that I think most directly concerns me. Uh, there are other fears which I feel are somewhat justified. That is to say, as we all know, there have been some abuses of science, and I hope that uh, it will be clear that these abuses of science are not the primary or most important contribution. I mean, science, after all, has very important things to contribute. But again, this is a question which maybe and I think is widely misunderstood. And if that misunderstanding is not corrected, well then, then this is a cause of more fears. That's because it gets the most publicity. I'm afraid so. Well, that's what you people have to counteract. That's why we talk to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're very important, the reporters. Uh, did, did either of you gentlemen sign Bart Bach's statement on astrology recently? <coughs> no, I don't. I'm not a signer. Very did they send a copy to you to sign? Uh, no, I actually I didn't receive a copy. I don't think I would have signed either because it seems to me that was an overkill. That's too obvious <laughs> to me, don't you think? Yet many people reacted negatively to the fact that the scientists did this. Does that mean there's a credibility gap? I, I haven't followed it. I don't know what people think about it. So uh, would, you, would I be right in saying that you gentlemen are optimistic about the future of science? I think on the long run, of course, yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you. What are you working on at the present time? Anything uh, in chemistry of interest that uh, Borderline. Will help to publicize science? What? Anything that would get the people to pay more attention to what scientists are doing? Yeah, what, uh, no, that certainly is of great interest. Uh, what, uh, in what direction is this going, this study? Uh, We're actually going in the 
detail, mind you see. It's uh, rather tempting, it yes. seems to me, to assume that uh, to accept the suggestion made four years ago now by La Saga Holland and Wire. But uh, in the early part of the hit, when this planet was quite young, there was an orange legal of the ocean. In which case, a reasonable place for life to start would be the interface between the Earth and the brain. How can uh, this be checked? Not too easily, but maybe some other... Simulating? Implication. Yeah. One might simulate some things. Space program help at all? What? Uh, going to Mars, does this do any good? Help a little bit, help a little. My wife thought they were too hot. Now, after our last meeting, Dr. Beetle, uh, you took off from Mexico and you were there for period of a year or two uh, on more research on maize. Yeah. Is that uh, in Mexico? When was it? How long ago was this? Or? I spoke to you in 69. Oh, 69. Yeah, I was just getting started. Yes. Now, um, as I read about the research later, my understanding is that you supported a previous theory of yours and raised it to new eminence on maize. Well, I don't know whether I don't know whether I raised it to any uh, new level, but uh, I tried to I tried to uh, get additional evidence. And I'm still doing it. In fact, uh, uh, I spend full time on it. In fact, I have a I have a cornfield on the Sh University of Chicago campus. <laughs> Is that right? Is it a correct and, statement? And I have, uh, I have the dubious distinction of being the only corn breeder in the world that's making worse corn rather than better corn. <laughs> <laughs> that's is it a correct statement that corn is unique, that uh, it would disappear if it were not cultivated? Well, that's true. Most cultivated plants. Oh, it's not just corn. Most cultivated plants are, you see, what we want in a cultivated plant is, uh, is not what nature wants for survival. We want the seeds to harvest, and nature wants the seeds dis to disperse. And corn has no seed dispersal mechanism. And that's true of cultivated wheat, barley, uh, and most, uh, most crop plants, not all, but most. So, uh, corn is uh, corn is unique in in this sense that uh, it's the only major crop plant uh, for which there's no no obvious wild ancestor. For most crop plants, there are so many wild ancestors in the same uh, genera 
that the difficulty is which one is the ancestor. But corn, until very recently, had no, no wild counterpart that was put even in the same genus. Uh, we, we now have, we have put one, one has been put in the same genus, but not, uh, it's been known for a long time. It's just so different that people didn't think it could possibly be the ancestor. And uh, we think, we think we're piling up evidence that it is. In fact, I uh, thought we had the problem settled 40 years ago. Well, that's what I had read, that after that time, others thought they had better ideas. Yeah. Is uh, science going to be able to feed the world? Not unless the world, the world slows down in reproduction. <laughs> the old uh, geometric versus arithmetic yeah. growth. I mean, we certainly can feed the world at a present level, but uh, it isn't going to stay at its present level. And uh, we certainly can feed a lot more people, but there has to be a limit someplace. Do you think people listen to what science says? About what? Uh, well, any specialty about world population or I don't uh, think any field. I don't think most people think very much about it. Or if they do, they don't do anything about it. It's not obvious what you do about it. How can that be changed? I don't know. I don't know. Of course, uh, there are counteracting forces, uh, famine and so on, that reduce population, but that's a, that's a pretty drastic way of doing it. But uh, unless we find new ways, that's the, only, that's the only solution. Is that a bigger problem than the energy crisis? Well, they're bound up very closely, of course. Uh, yes, we could, we could, uh, I guess we could probably feed the world uh, the present population with very little expenditure of, of energy. China does it with uh, very little expenditure of energy, except human energy. How about the uh, future of recombinant DNA? and in harvesting crops and things like that, taking... Well, it's another, it's another method of plant breeding. It can be another method of plant breeding. <coughs> but in that respect, uh, in crop production, I don't, uh, I don't see any great future there. I think in disease control and other respects, it can uh, be highly significant. How about uh, nitrogen fixation, things like that? Well, certainly possibilities there. There are plenty of nitrogen fixing plants now that we could use. We could use, but we're not using them. Well, we're using some. We're using some. Are there any others that show potential that we're... Oh, yeah, sure. There are, um, there are many legumes that could be... Uh, could become significant crop plants. In fact, I was just reading a, a brochure on the way up here on a couple of them uh, that have uh, seem to have some some hope. How would uh, how would you, well, let's say, as personally or as a recommendation to other people, 
try to persuade the, the public they should try these new plans if they were if they were available. Let's say, how would you get them to change their habits? Well, uh, there's several ways. Uh, of course, the the, uh, the the painful way is uh, is, is being driven to it by starvation. Uh, that's uh, that's the hard way. The other way is just to persuade, and this is being done. There are searches for uh, new kinds of plants, but this is a this is a long way off. It takes a well it, to get uh, to get corn where it is now. It's taken ten thousand years. Well, we can go faster now, but we can't pick up any old wild plant and make make a new crop plant out of it in a in a year or two. Maybe, maybe a few decades, uh, more likely a century. Do scientists have a harder time today helping to shape public policy than they did 20 years ago? I don't think so. We didn't have much then. <laughs> <laughs> much policy or much of a hard time? <laughs> didn't have much, much success. <laughs> Did you see the statement by Bart Bach on astrology and science recently? Um, no, I didn't. I that was circulated, uh, I don't know to whom he sent it, but some 186 people, including 18 laureates, signed it that there's no scientific basis for astrology. Yet a lot of reaction came in that the scientists shouldn't have done this. Oh, yes, I guess I did see something about it. You think that's the way to go at it? To, to shape public opinion, to tell people what is scientific and what isn't? Or well, I, I think you had to keep trying. Uh, it's not easy, but you can't give up. Do you, do you think that uh, people ask you too many things about things you shouldn't be asked because you're a Nobel Prize winner? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me about corn. <laughs> How do you feel about this conference as a, a tool for the, for the public to become more aware? One of the avowed purposes is that the uh, people should become more interested again and help get more <coughs> funds into basic research. Do you think this is the way to accomplish that? Well, I, I think I think we're doing it uh, at a fairly good clip. I, I don't know whether we can do it faster or not. We certainly can do it some faster, but um, whether we could accelerate it really significantly, I don't know. The scientists need a lobby of their own. Were they uh, will have somebody always uh, somehow, if there is a consensus of scientific opinion on anything, push for their point of view on, let's say, in Congress or in the White House, much as the oil companies do and the energy people do and everybody else. Well, I guess agriculture has a fair, uh, fair lobby. But agriculture is not science. Well, uh, I mean, agriculture science. science. Well, agriculture so, has the producers who lobby yeah. for them, you know, yeah, Ralston and people like that. I'm that's comparable to oil. Yeah, uh, sure. Oil producers, sure. I'm talking about a, a lobby where scientists would be polled about their 
they could be a counter lobby, let's say, to the energy people. But when the energy people say, no, there's no sense in exploiting hot, uh, solar energy because it's never going to work, if there is a scientific consensus that it could work, the lobby would come out and put out their own. Uh, I didn't think there was so much resistance to uh, to following this up, so taking solar. Well, solar I was, that was just an example. I'm just saying. Do you think there is a need of a lobby for that kind of lobby uh, action, whether it's in solar energy or in genetic engineering or in fetal research? Well, I guess I, I guess I have to have a definition of lobbying. Uh, there's certainly someone who many very concerned scientists who yeah. are or pushing on things of this sort. Is that a lobby or is... Well, I, I, maybe I'm thinking of a formalization of that. You mean an organized... Uh, the uh, Much as the Union of Concerned Scientists has their lobby in Washington and other scientific organizations. I don't know. I'm not... Uh, I'm not talking about I don't have strong feelings about that. Do you get the research funds you need? <laughs> yes, I don't need any. <laughs> Very little. See, I, uh, I'm uh, I'm unique in this respect too. That that I'm a I'm a solo worker and I use very few funds. All I need is a piece of land and uh, use of a greenhouse. Do you agree with? Maybe I maybe I spend a thousand dollars a year or two thousand. Do you agree with? Uh, Dr. I can do that out of my own pocket. <laughs> do you agree with Dr. Whitworth about uh, not enough money being invested in agriculture and alternative uh, energy, sort of using agriculture as an alternative energy thing through solar? I, I, I really don't know. I don't know whether we need more money or better use of the money we have. Certainly, the efficiency of use of money can be improved. How much, I don't know. I don't know whether it's an order of magnitude or, or what. I don't know. I'm not. Okay. I'm pushing. Where is the limit in your field, say, where science has to stop? Science has to stop? Where it can no longer deal with the question. Is there such a thing? Does the scientific method have a limitation? I don't know of any, but uh, I may be wrong. You'd know it when you got <laughs> No, I don't. Uh, I suppose from time to time people have felt that particular areas have been exhausted, but uh, it turns out always to be wrong. That, uh, genetics, for example. Genetics has never been stronger. Well, you know, after Mendel, we thought we knew the answers, but. Uh, we certainly didn't. They stopped, we don't know. They stopped themselves from... What? Well, they stopped themselves from research for a while. Yeah, that's right. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Looking forward Sorry to I'm you did. Hungry. No, it's quite all right.